Hey, this is Evan Black, pastor of Faith for Life Church, and this is our podcast. Thanks for joining us today. If you don't yet know Jesus, I'm so glad that you're listening, and I pray that this message empowers you to give your life to Christ. If you're just starting out in your journey with Jesus, I hope this empowers you to connect with Him. If you're strong in your connection to Christ, I believe this message will empower you to follow Him. So enjoy today's message. Amen. Turn to me in in your Bibles to Matthew chapter 12. Matthew chapter 12, as you're turning there, we moved to Texas uh, about nine or so years ago. And our oldest was about a year old when we moved here. So maybe six months to a year after that, me and him were playing out in the front yard in the driveway. And we had one of those little, like, kiddie basketball goals. Y'all know those ones that they're, like, they're plastic and they're usually, like, this high. And then you can raise them a little bit higher. They don't, they don't get very high. They're, like, this high. And, and we were out in the front in the driveway playing with that. And he had this little basketball. It was like a little foam basketball. Y'all know the little basketballs. They're cheap basketballs. They're like, they're like you can get them at a dollar store. Like they're not expensive. They're these little basketballs. We probably had four or five of them. And so me and him were playing out in the, yard, in the driveway. And, and the driveway had a little bit of slope. And then obviously there was the road. And really close to our house, there was a drain on the road. So... So you had the road, and then, you know, on, on the curb, you had the little opening where, where it was a drain, right? And so me and him are out there playing, and in some kind of way, he shoots it and misses it, and some kind of way, I miss the ball, and all of a sudden, the ball's rolling down the driveway. Now, he knows this drain is in the street really close to our house, and he knows that kind of gravity will take things out to the street and really to the drain. And so he starts, like, freaking out, and he starts running as fast as his little legs will move down the driveway, and he turns the corner into the street and he reaches for the ball. And just as he reaches for the ball, the ball rolls into the drain. Now, you know, the drains are deep. Like, the, there's no getting that ball back. Like, I, I, I go and I, I lay down and I kind of reach my hand. But I know there's no way I'm getting this ball. Like, have y'all seen me? My arms are not that long, right? Like, there's no way I'm getting this ball. And, and once he realizes that this ball is lost... Like, he loses it. I mean, he starts boo-hoo crying. His, like, world has just crumbled because this 75-cent foam basketball went down the drain. And I get it. Like, he, he doesn't have concept of, of all of that at this point in his life. He just knows that my toy, my ball, this thing that I love, I just lost. And so, like, a good dad, I, I get him, Isaiah, Isaiah, look at me, look at me, listen. We will get another. We got, we got three other basketballs in the house, but we'll get another one just to replace this one. I promise you, we'll, we'll get another ball. We'll replace it. It, it, it. You won't even remember this basketball that went into the drain. And so, you know, he's trying to wipe his tears. <laughs> okay, Dad. Okay, Dad. Okay, Dad. And obviously, at this point, he's nine years. No, how old is he? He's 11. I don't know. The, the middle one's nine. Isaiah's 11. I think Isaiah's 11. He, he's, he's much older now. <laughs> It'd be, we got three. <laughs> this is so coming some slack. I'm doing good to remember the middle one's not. So at this point, only thing he remembers about that basketball is the story and maybe the feeling of that ball going in the drain. But he don't care about that basketball anymore. We bought him another basketball. He has more basketballs than he can even play with. And all was well. Keep that in mind. I, I want to read from Matthew chapter 12. I want to start in verse 9, but just to let you know what's happened in the first eight verses. You have Jesus um, on the Sabbath, and he's, he's going to the synagogue with the disciples. And the Pharisees see the disciples eating and pulling grain on the Sabbath, and they're trying to pick a fight with him. 
They're trying to challenge him. They're trying to pick a fight with Jesus. They're trying to trip Jesus up. They're trying to, to prove that Jesus is a fraud. And Jesus handles that. And then in verse 9 it says, he went on from there and entered their synagogue. He entered their synagogue. So Jesus, as he was on his way to their synagogue, they're, they're trying to pick a fight with him. And have you ever noticed that this is kind of Satan's play, right? Whenever you're on your way to church, or maybe better yet, on your way from church, that Satan will try to pick a fight with you. Have you ever noticed that when you're on your way to living in the purposes that God has for your life, that Satan tries to pick a fight with you? Have you, ever, have you ever noticed that when you're on your way to taking a step of faith to doing something that God's leading you to do, that Satan's trying to pick a fight with you? Maybe, maybe it's something that you haven't done before. Maybe it's an act of faith or maybe it's just being faithful in what God's called you to do and what you know to do as a Christian and Satan's always trying to pick a fight with you. That's what the Pharisees are trying to do with Jesus. They're trying to pick a fight with him. And Satan is using them to try to get Jesus to not do what God wanted Jesus to do. Because we know that Jesus only did what the Father told him to do. So, so if he's going to their synagogue, it's because God told him to go. And the Pharisees are trying to pick a fight with him to keep him from doing that. But Jesus refuses to allow that to stop him from doing what God called him to do. You know, if Satan can't pick a fight with you, then he tries to, to, to get you offended. Have you ever noticed that? Like if he, can't, if he can't get you arguing with him, if he can't get you into foolishness, if you're just not going to uh, uh, consider that anymore and you just know like I'm, I'm, I'm living for Jesus and that's settled, you know he'll try to, the next place he'll try to get you offended. Especially going to the synagogue. I know it's not y'all, but the people who used to go to church here, I've never met so many people that are so easily offended in my entire life. <laughs> like, not, not y'all, not y'all. And if you used to go to church here, when it, like, I'm not talking about you, because clearly, like, you're, you're still here. I, I think about um, uh, uh, somebody who is still here and is still serving, like, every week, who had legitimate reasons to be offended and, and, and leave and, and say, like, man, forget Pastor Evan, forget faith for life, forget, like, or, or even forget Jesus. And yet they chose, I refuse to be offended. And it's not just about them staying here in this local church, but it's about them continuing to serve God. And, 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 and I've watched God bless them through that. But if Satan can't get a, pick a fight with you, he tries to get you offended. If he can't get you offended, he tries to distract you. And, and let's be honest, he is crushing it in that area. We're the most busy people in the history of people. But we don't have time for anything. I mean, I mean and, and listen, I'm not talking about y'all, I'm talking about us. I, I, all the time, it's like, Man, I am too busy. And Satan's like, okay, stay busy. Stay busy. Because if I can't pick a fight with you, if I can't get you offended, if I can't get you off of your faith in Jesus, then what I'll do is I'll make you so busy that it's only you that goes to heaven. That you're not bringing anybody else with you. That, that you're not making disciples. 
that you're not pouring into your children or your grandchildren or your coworkers or your family members or your friends to help them and empower them to follow Jesus. So, so if I can't stop you from following Jesus, I'll try to stop you from helping other people follow Jesus. And we have bought that hook, line, and sinker. And now it's like a badge of honor to be busy. Like if you're not busy, you feel like something's wrong with you. I don't know how, I've had a lot of time over the last, you know, I haven't preached in like four weeks. So like, <laughs> this is supposed to be over in 27 minutes. We'll see. Because <laughs> I'm on like point one. <laughs> but, but, but some kind of way over the last couple of weeks, I, I, I came across this video. I don't even, I have no idea. I don't even remember what it was. But they were talking about how busy they were. And there was this one um, mom, I think, who was like, I feel bad because I don't feel like I'm that busy. And I feel like I should be more busy. I'm like, wow, I get that. I, I get that as a pastor. I get that as a father. I get that as a man. Like, like if, you're, if you're like, man, I don't really have much to do today. It's almost like, well, tomorrow I better pack my calendar because I feel like I'm being lazy or, no, no, I'm not, no, listen, don't be lazy, right? But are we so busy that we have no margin in our calendars to be able to empower people to follow Jesus? Because I know all of y'all, you, you invest the time in your spiritual self to pray and read your word and, and, and hear what God wants you to do. And I got all that. I'm talking about now, are we so busy that, that, that we walk by the man left in the street, bleeding and beaten and robbed? Are we so busy that we, we can't stop and help somebody on the side of the road because we just have to get to this next appointment? Because if Satan can't pick a fight with us, if he can't get us offended, then he'll get us busy. Or one of his other plays is he just makes us complacent. He just, like, it doesn't take all that. You're good. Just come to church on Sunday morning. Go watch ORU beat Florida. You know, you're good. You're going to heaven. Tell your kids about Jesus. If you get a chance, tell your coworkers. You know, make sure you pray, read your Bible. You're good. Listen, y'all have heard me say it many times, but if this life were only about us making it to heaven, then the moment that we give our life to Jesus, we should just go to heaven. It can't just be about that. If we're still here, we still have purpose. We still have people to reach, people to empower, seeds to sow. And what Satan wants to do is get us complacent and thinking, oh, you're good. So you don't really need to do anything else. Let's decide right now that we are going to be people that follow Jesus no matter what fights, offenses, distractions, or complacency that comes our way. Because, see, Jesus continued to go to their synagogue. He went to the Pharisees' synagogue. You know how easy it would have been to be like, oh, y'all trying to mess with me on the Sabbath? Like, we're going to bless y'all. We're going to your synagogue, and you want to do this? Well, forget y'all then. Do you know how easy that would have been? 
But Jesus was like, no, God told me to come here. God told me to do this. It doesn't matter what you say. It doesn't matter the fight that you try to pick. It doesn't matter how you try to get me offended. It doesn't matter how you try to get me distracted. It doesn't matter how complacent you try to make me. I am going to do what God has called me to do. I am going to do what God is asking me to do. And there's nothing you can do about it. You cannot stop me. And the moment that we as believers begin to get that mindset of you cannot offend me because my trust isn't in you, my value isn't in you, my worth doesn't come from you, you can't pick a fight with me because I don't have anything to prove to you. And I am going to refuse to be distracted from the major things that God has called me to. And listen, it's not hard. He tells us to go and make disciples of all nations. So whatever your purpose is, it has to do with people. Y'all know, the way we say it is it has to do with empowering people to follow Jesus. And that's beyond you and your household. And we need to decide right now that we are going to refuse to be complacent Christians. It's just like it's good enough to just come to church and read my Bible once or twice a week. No, I am here to go to the synagogue, not just to church. But what I mean by that is I am here to obey Jesus. I am here to do what God wants me to do. So when God tells me to go to the synagogue, I'm not just sitting back like, oh, God, they got me offended. They messed with me. You know they shouldn't have messed with me like that. You know we were just trying to do what you wanted to do. So forget them. No, Jesus still went to the synagogue even though the Pharisees were trying to stop him. He goes to their synagogue. It says in verse 10, and a man was there with a withered hand. Now, let me just pause right there. That word withered means um, through scorching or it's shrunken. It represents a dryness, maybe even a dryness of the earth, like a, a, a drought even. Um, and so here you have this man. He was there in the, at the synagogue with a withered hand. Hand. Now, we don't know how long his hand had be withered, uh, been withered. There's actually some scholars believe that this man um, was formerly like a bricklayer, meaning he would made his living, made his earning by using his hands. His hands were very important. And now, because his hand was withered, um, disabled, dysfunctioning in some sort of way, he had become a beggar. So, so... Fellas, think about this. Like, you're working hard, you know, um, uh, I, I, we don't know much about this man, but, but you, you're working hard, you're earning a living, and something happens, and now all of a sudden you're, you can't work, and you are essentially a beggar. Like, that does something to a man's psyche, not just their ego, but it does something to kind of the core of who God has made us to be. This would have been demoralizing for this man. I mean, this, this would have been like one of the worst things that could happen to him is to, to have this disability come upon him that, that caused him to have to beg for food and money. This would have clearly made life more difficult for him. And, and let's be honest, not for y'all, but for people that y'all know, this would have been a very easy excuse to be angry at God. Like, Easy excuse. Y'all know, know Christians that have gotten so angry at God for much less than this. I mean, I know Christians that got angry at God because I'm flawed. <laughs> I'm like, well, first of all, it was, 
Listen, full disclosure, I'm flawed. So, so if your faith and trust is in me, then, then, then we're missing it here. But this is, a, this is an easy reason for this man to be angry at God. Surely he struggled with this. I mean, he had to have struggled with this. But do you notice where we find this man? At the synagogue. It says that Jesus entered the synagogue and there was a man there. There was a man at the synagogue. We find this man at the synagogue. We don't find this man in the streets. We don't find this man at the bar. We don't find this man at the club. We don't find this man on his boat on a Sunday morning when when the synagogue's meeting. We find this man at the synagogue. Here, this man who had every reason to be offended, every reason to be angry, every reason to be so disappointed in God that he turned his back on God. We find this man at the synagogue. We don't know if he was, you know, a regular at the synagogue before this happened. But we know whatever, whatever his past was, now he is there dysfunction, disabled, and he's like, I got to get to the synagogue. It's part of the reason it's, it's dangerous, and I get it. I get it with COVID and everything that's happened. Like, I get there's people that still need to watch online and can't come in. I get that, and I, I respect that. I don't have any problem with that. But let me just tell you, it, it, it's dangerous to not come to the synagogue. You miss out when you don't come to the synagogue. There is a reason that the Bible tells us to not forsake the assembling of ourselves together. It's not just for pastors' egos or for churches' finances. It's not for, it's for you. It's for us. But, but this man, at his lowest, at the, at the times where he could have blamed God, he runs to God and we find him at the synagogue. Because just like Jesus said, you're not going to get me off of what God wants me to do. This man clearly is like, I am going to be where I'm supposed to be no matter what's happened to me, no matter how horrific, no matter how demoralizing, no matter how much more difficult this has made my life, no matter what excuses I have, I am going to show up for God. We find him at the synagogue and... And, and they asked him, is it lawful to heal on the Sabbath so that they might accuse him? Here, again, they're trying to pick another fight with Jesus. And there's a whole teaching in this, uh, all the way back from verse 1, about the Sabbath for today. We're going to keep moving on that. And in verse 11, he said to them, which one of you has a sheep, if it falls into a pit on the Sabbath, will not take hold of it and lift it out? Now, if you don't know, on the Sabbath, this was a day set apart where the people were supposed to rest and, and they were not supposed to work. And let me just say this too, as a side note, the Sabbath still applies to us today. We don't need to be religious or, fair about, or, or acting like a Pharisee about it, but, but God hasn't changed in how he's designed us to, to require us to rest. It's why your body needs to sleep. But it's also why we need to be intentional about setting aside time for God and live out of our rest, not live towards our rest. So, so they're like, hey, y'all, y'all, first of all, they were like, 
your, your disciples weren't supposed to eat. They weren't supposed to pick during a Sabbath like they're working. But now um, you're going to, you know, Jesus is like, hey, y'all are accusing me. Y'all are picking a fight with me once. Now you want to pick another fight with me because they're like, are, are you going to heal on the Sabbath? We're asking this not to learn, but we're asking to accuse him, to trip him up, to pick a fight. In verse 11, he said to them, which one of you has a sheep if it falls into the pit on the Sabbath will not take hold of it and lift it out? Now, Jesus here, this is so good because he's like, oh, you hypocrites. <laughs> right? Like, like you're trying to trip me up. You, don't want, you think this is work. But listen, you, you also work on the Sabbath. He can also say this as a side point for all of us. Let's make sure that we're recognizing the plank in our eye before we're recognizing the speck in other people's eyes. So, so right now it's really easy to like point fingers and, and especially coming out of this last election. Like, oh man, all the Democrats are from the devil. All the Republicans are from the devil. Like, whoa, 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 whoa. Jesus isn't a Democrat or a Republican. And while we're quick to point and argue and slander and make fun of, like, hold on, hold on. Your side is not without fault. So, so that's what they're doing here. They're like, Jesus, you going to work on the Sabbath? And Jesus like, y'all do it. Verse 12, how much more value is a man than a sheep? So it is lawful to do good on the Sabbath. Now let this sink in. How much more valuable is a man than a sheep? Now, yeah, I mean, we're in Texas. You may have a sheep. I don't know. But like most of us don't have sheep. So let's substitute sheep. How much more valuable is a man than your car? How much more valuable is a man than your home? How much more valuable is a man than your job? Or your money? Or your status? Because, listen, listen, here's the truth. The truth is, if man wasn't valuable to you in what God has called you to do, if man, if men hadn't, and I say men, men or women didn't have anything to do with, with your purpose and what God wanted for you, then you wouldn't be here. So, so you want a better job to have a bigger, nicer, better, okay. But if it's not about God being glorified, which will impact fellow men and women, then you're not, your value system's off. How much are we really valuing people? Because this isn't just a, 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 a teaching about the Sabbath. This isn't really about sheep and people. This is about what we value. And, and God makes it very clear. Love me with everything that you have and everything that you are. And love your neighbor as yourself. So if we're going to major on the major things of Scripture and minor on the minor things of Scripture, you know what the minor things of Scripture are? Most of the stuff that Americans care about. You know what the major things are? Loving God, which means obeying God, and loving people, making disciples. 
So, so what are we valuing more? You, you want to know how you can tell what you value? Go look at your, your, uh, your bank account and your calendar. That will tell you what you're valuing most. This is, this is challenging. I, I get it. It's not just challenging for y'all. It's challenging for all of us. But Jesus makes this very clear. People are greater than animals. <laughs> They're greater than money. They're greater than cars. They're greater than homes. They're greater than jobs. And they need to be valued by us more. Here's the way we say it here um, with our staff. God over people. So we're going to obey God no matter what y'all say. But people over process. So if our process is do this and do that, but there is a person that is in need, that person trumps the process. So let me just, like if you're supposed to be singing up here on, on our music team, and it's time, and, and, and you're walking up, and you see somebody, or God leads you to stop and pray for somebody, you know what we want you to do? We want you to stop and not come up here, even though that's the process, until you've obeyed God. Now what we don't want you to do is just, you know, be messing around and just be like, oh, it's time, no, no. But... People over process. Now, in your life, process may look different. Process, you might, you might, you might um, substitute process for purpose. <laughs> you might substitute proce uh, 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 process for provision. Because that's what Jesus is saying here. People over provision. Mm. Y'all yeah, want me to go on another three-week Break. It's okay. I'll be back next week, whether you, Lord willing, whether you like it or not. And if ORU wins, I'll be, I might, I might just have like a jersey. I might, I, you know, I got, I got the whole day. Like I might be in sweatpants, ORU sweatpants. I, I would wear shorts, but that would probably offend some of y'all. Like it's going, if they win, like it, it oh man. Y'all might walk into a hole. It might be blue and gold everywhere in here. Miss Jamie, blue and gold. If they, if they, yeah, whew. Miss Jamie's going to be working next week because you're going to walk into an ORU party. Okay, okay, scripture, scripture. <laughs> Verse 13, then he said to the man, again, this is Jesus talking to the man who's at the synagogue, disabled, dysfunctioned, demoralized. He says to the man, stretch out your hand. And the man stretched it out. Let me pause. Stretch out your hand. The very thing that was withered, the very thing that was broken, the very thing that demoralized him, the very thing that shamed him, the very thing that if, he had, if, he's, if he's had his hand withered for long enough, he takes a part of his identity in this. I mean, let, let's be honest. Some, the, the, like the biggest thing, like, okay, let me, let me give you an example. Part of my identity has always been in I am short. So I'm going to get out into the short jokes before you do. I'm going to acknowledge it before you do. I, 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 like I take, at this point, I kind of take pride in being short, especially being a basketball player. Like even the other day, people were like, um, I was playing somewhere and they were, oh, one of my kids, they were like, Dad, you know, um, when are you, are, how much more are you going to grow? <laughs> like, buddy, I'm 41. Like I'm, I'm done. 
And, and you know, my, my response to that is like, I don't even want to grow at this point. Because part of my identity is being a short guy. And some of those adjectives have changed over time. Like, it used to be like a short athletic guy or... Now it's just a short, slightly overweight guy. Like that's, that's part of my identity. Even though you're like, that's not positive. But it's, it's just, it is what it is. And I've gotten used to it. And it's just like I know. That's why if you ever look at a picture of me, don't ever look at my feet. Because I'm always on my toes. Because that's part of who I, I know I'm short. And I compensate for it. It's part of who I am. If this man has had a withered hand for long enough, it's part of who he is. It's a part of his identity. It's part of how he compensates. It's what he's comfortable with. Yeah, he wants to be healed. Sure, I'd want to be taller. Not now. I wanted to be taller 25 years ago when I was playing basketball. That would have helped a lot. Now it doesn't really help that much. But, but yeah, sure. But if it doesn't, I know how to live this way. I know how to function this way. And Jesus is like that very thing that is hindering you, that very thing that your identity is wrapped up in, that very thing that's causing you shame and difficulty and has demoralized you, stretch it out towards me. As an act of faith, stretch it out towards me. Give it to me. Don't don't give me the other hand. Don't even bow down in this moment. But stretch out the very thing that's causing you problems, the very thing that's not working the way it's supposed to be working, the very thing that's causing you heartache and difficulty, the very thing that has you begging and not working. Stretch that out towards me. Because what we see when Jesus wants to heal us, most of the time we see an act of faith that's required on our part. And this is an act of faith. Is this man going to be willing to lift up to Jesus the very thing that's dragging him down? Is he willing to lift up to Jesus the very thing that's shaming him? The very thing that is making his life miserable? And I believe that God is asking us the same question. Are we willing to stretch out our withered hand to Jesus? Are we willing to give it to him? Are we willing to to forget the shame of it, forget the difficulty of it, forget the offense of it, forget all that comes with it, even our identity being wrapped up in whatever it is, and are we willing to lift that to Jesus and give it to him as an act of faith? This man, it says, he stretched it out. He obeyed what Jesus told him to do, and it was restored, healthy like the other. Now this word restored, it means to return to a person, a specific thing which he has lost or which has been taken from him. It can mean to heal or to cure or to recover. And here, this man, as he takes this act of faith of stretching his withered hand to Jesus, he is restored. We're told he's restored healthy like the other. The other hand that wasn't withered. The other hand that was functioning properly. When he stretched his withered hand to Jesus, Jesus healed it and made it just like the other hand. But maybe what you have that's withered, maybe your withered hand doesn't have a second that's already healthy. That doesn't hinder Jesus. It doesn't hinder him in any way. 
Because restoration, when Jesus restores us physically, when he restores our health, it's not about restoring it to something else that we already possess. It's about restoring it back to the original design. Do you remember in the Garden of Eden when God sees Adam and he says, it's not good for man to be sick? It's not good for man to be in pain? It's not good for man's hand to be withered? It's not good for a man to be in shame? No, God doesn't say any of that. You know why? Because it wasn't there. He just says it's not good for man to be alone. But Adam didn't have a withered hand. Adam couldn't have a withered hand. Adam didn't get sick. He didn't have COVID. He didn't have the flu. He, he didn't even have the sniffles. You know why? It wasn't there. Death, sickness, disease, all of that pain came after Sin. Sin brought that into the world. And y'all know what? When you gave your life to Jesus, you accepted the remedy of sin, which means you also accepted the remedy to sickness, disease, pain, withered hands, malfunctions in our bodies. Listen, listen. Um, Isaiah chapter 26 verse 3 says this. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. Now, no, 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 that, that's cool, that's good, but, but let's, this perfect peace, these words, they're actually the same word. It's shalom. So, so this actually says you keep him in shalom, shalom, whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. And shalom means completely whole. Shalom, shalom means nothing missing, nothing broken. So, so what this is saying is, listen, you, God keeps us. With nothing missing, nothing broken, nothing withered, nothing hurting, nothing malfunctioning. He keeps us whose mind is stayed on him because he trusts in you. First Peter chapter 2, verse 24. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. Either the Bible's true or not. What is happening here? Has, um, I'd ask you to raise your hand, but, but I don't want to know. Um, anybody not have an iPhone? Don't raise your hand. Don't even make it clear on your face under your mask because you just ruined my whole day. But if you've ever had an iPhone and, and you were getting a new iPhone for whatever reason, you know what you do with your old iPhone. You have to restore it back to the factory settings. Back to the default, right? So you got to follow the settings and you got you to wipe out your iPhone so that you can make sure that whoever gets it next doesn't have all your stuff, right? Because when you get an iPhone, what you do is you add your apps to it, you add your pictures to it, you add, um, you know, your text messages, all this stuff we add to our iPhone. And then whenever we get a new one, it's, it's factory default. It's the settings, it doesn't have any of that. It just is an iPhone that functions the way an iPhone was created to function. And here's what's happened. With our bodies, God created us. And there is a factory default. But what we do is we eat a little too much chips. We go to fast food a little bit too often. We don't eat enough. We allow stress to, to, to overcome us. We, we do all these things. We're adding all these apps and they're not all good. And here what Jesus is saying is you have an opportunity to reset back to the factory default. 
so that your body just functions the way it was designed to function. The way that an iPhone just, when, you re, when, you, when it's quite clean, it's just the way it's supposed to function. That's it. It doesn't have anything slowing it down. doesn't have all this other stuff on it. And God is saying he wants to restore our health back to the factory default. And the factory default is nothing missing, nothing broken. It is you were healed. It means you have no ailments, no sicknesses, no disease, no withered hands. But it will require us taking an act of faith. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. I want to ask you to stand to your feet. And I want to challenge all of us in this moment to to put aside the shame, to put aside the offense, to put aside the complacency, to, to, to make a decision right now that Satan is not going to fight me any longer in this area. I am going to believe what God says. I'm going to believe his word. I'm going to grab a hold of it. I am going to act like it's so. I'm going to talk like it's so. I am going to see it happen in my life. And by doing that, what I want to ask all of us to do is just bow our heads, close our eyes. And I want to ask us to lift one hand to Jesus. As a representation of our withered hand. It may not be your hand. It may be your leg. It may be your foot. It may be a sickness, a disease, an ailment. It may be your heart. It may be your emotions. But all of us have a withered hand. And as we're lifting this withered hand to Jesus... I'm going to pray for us. And I want you to join your faith in complete and total healing in your mind, in your body, in your emotions. I want you to fight the thoughts of doubt by reminding yourself that you were healed. It's already done. The price has already been paid. I I, I want you in this moment, maybe you need to confess some things, maybe you need to speak some things, but, but I want us to give our withered hands to Jesus. There's nothing super spiritual about lifting this hand, but I just believe Jesus is asking us right now the same question he asked this man. This man was in the synagogue. You are here in the church in the building, coming to hear from him and worship him. And I believe that Jesus wants to heal us completely right here, right now with nothing missing and nothing broken. But it's going to take us lifting, not a hand, but lifting that thing up to him and giving it to him and believing that he will do what he said he will do. So as we've lifted our withered hand, Let's go before the Lord. Well, if you enjoyed today's podcast, there's a couple things I'd love for you to do. Make sure to subscribe, rate, and review this podcast. You can also invest in helping us empower others to follow Jesus by texting any dollar amount to 512-520-0185. Thanks again for joining us today on the Faith for Life podcast.